Well, this morning I want to minister to you guys on freedom from sin. So, how many know that salvation is, is more than just being forgiven? How many, anybody know that? Salvation is, is more than just being forgiven. Now, thank God that we're forgiven when we get saved. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we know that He went to the cross, He died for us, and He paid the penalty for our sins. We're no longer in debt to God for that because all of God's wrath was poured out on His Son. But salvation is so much more than just going to heaven one day. When we get saved, we get amazing benefits right now, even today. In Christ, we are free. We are free from fear. We're free from sickness. We are free from disease. But most importantly, we are made free from sin. And this morning is... As, as we get into this, so I want you to keep in mind, this is actually going to be part of a series. We're going we're gonna to look at three different aspects of being free from sin. And today we're going to talk about what I think is the most important aspect, is understanding that we are actually free from sin. We are not in bondage to sin. We're not a slave to sin. We no longer have to sin, but instead we've made, been made brand new. And then next week we're going to deal with temptation, because how many know that even if you're saved, you still get tempted? Anybody here been tempted? I've been tempted. Pastors get tempted? Yeah, pastors get tempted all the time. You know what? Jesus got tempted, so I figure I'm in good company. So uh, we have to deal with temptation. So what do we do when temptation comes? Because temptation will come, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. And then finally, the following week, we're going to talk about what happens when we fall down. Now, as we're going to see this morning, I believe that as a Christian, you can live without sin. You've been completely freed from sin. It is possible to live without sin. I also understand as a pastor and as a person who's walked that life that the chances aren't very high, that we are probably going to fall from time to time. And we need to know what to do when that happens. So, so uh, two weeks from now, that's what we're going to look at, what happens when we fall. But today, like I said, I want to focus on the reality that we are free from sin and the truth is, is that many a sermon have been preached on grace and what to do if you fall. And, and almost to the point where there's this pendulum that swung that, that says that grace, 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 and that means that we can do whatever we want, we can live however we want. And somehow um, uh, be, being, being saved by grace has become a license to sin. And the truth is, is that's the farthest thing that God wanted. Just because you're saved and you were forgiven doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want, that we should be able to live however we want, because Jesus paid much too high a price for that. I believe that we need to start hearing more, that we are free from, we need to hear more preaching on this, that we're free from sin, that we're no longer in bondage to sin, that it no longer has a hold on our lives. I believe that if we, we all left here today convinced of this, if we left here and had a real revelation that sin no longer had a grip on our lives, that we would see a whole lot loss, less falling in our lives. Now, the temptation is not going to change. You're still going to get tempted, but I think we would fall a whole lot less if we, if we just knew in our heart that sin no longer had a grip on us. And like I said, falling is not inevitable. If you've been here a while, you know one of my favorite verses is Jude uh, 124. But Jude one twenty four through 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You know, I want you to pay attention to a really important part there. He said, Now to him who is able to keep you 
from stumbling. I believe that when you're saved and you have your eyes focused on Jesus, you are able to live without stumbling at all. Now, the truth is that we do stumble, and and that's because I think all too often we get distracted and our eyes get taken off Jesus for a bit, and the next thing you know, we're doing silly. And thank God that usually brings our eyes back to Jesus, and we begin straightening things out. But I believe that if we kept our eyes focused firmly on Jesus in all times in our life, that, that it would be impossible to sin. It would be impossible to fall. Think about it. Every time that you've ever committed a sin, were you thinking about Jesus? You weren't. And that's the reason there. And I believe that this is foundational to living as a successful and victorious Christian, is understanding that Jesus paid the price, that not only would we be forgiven, but we'd be completely released from the bondage of sin. So let's look at, we're going to start here in Romans chapter 7, 14 through 20, and this is Paul speaking. And he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not want, I do not I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is the basic dilemma of an unbeliever. Now, has anybody ever felt here like they couldn't stop sinning? They wanted to stop sinning, but for some reason they just kept doing something they shouldn't be. Anybody ever felt that way? I know I felt that way. And I, I, there were times in my life that I, I wanted to do the right thing, and it seemed like no matter what I tried, I couldn't do the right thing. But as we know that we're going through this, and we read here, Paul's talking about what seems to be that very thing, right? But how many know that Paul's not talking about Christians here? Did you guys know that? Paul's not referring to Christians. Paul's referring to unbelievers here. And more specifically, he's referring to, to, the, to the Jewish community. They, they wanted to serve God. They had a heart for God. They wanted to do the right thing. But they kept doing the stuff that they weren't supposed to do because the Jews had a problem. They loved God. They were serving God. They were God's chosen people, but they were still sinners because Jesus hadn't come yet. I remember before I was well and truly saved, before I finally got a hold of the big picture and understood what salvation was really like. I I knew that Jesus was there and I, I wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted to serve God, but I didn't understand exactly how it worked and I kept trying to do things my own way. I kept trying to do the right thing. And I would, every day, I would try to do the right thing and I would fall and I would slip up and I would go to sleep at night and I would pray to God and list out my laundry list of sins that I had committed for that day and ask God to forgive me for them and, and then the next day I would do them all again. You see, I, I understood that Jesus Christ paid for my sins and that He had saved me, but I, I never came to understand that I was free from sin. It wasn't until I finally got a hold of the fact that when you get saved, a miracle takes place inside of you and you were changed on the inside. That I finally began to live the life that God wanted me to live. I didn't know at that point. And that, that, those points in my life, I had, 
just enough faith to be saved, and probably most of the time not even that. I had this idea that I wanted to be good, but no, no way to do it. And I was just like Paul. I wanted to be right. I wanted to do the, do the best thing that I could, and I would fail and fail. And all that led to is shame and guilt. But I want you to know that sometimes as Christians, I think we still struggle with these feelings. But I also want you to know as a Christian, you don't have to. You see, what happens for Christians is that you become dead to sin, and sin is dead to you. You're completely separated from it. Sin doesn't dwell in you. Right now, he says, he's talking about the sin that dwells within him. I want you to know, as a a Christian, sin does not dwell within you. How could it? We all agree that Jesus Christ comes and lives inside of you. God lives inside of you, right? But God cannot have any fellowship with the dark. Light cannot have fellowship with the dark. So that way, if sin was inside of you, Jesus couldn't be. And if Jesus is inside of you, then sin can't be. We are righteous in Christ. Therefore, sin can't dwell in us. So so our problem is a little bit different. And I think that our problem is, one, we either don't have a real revelation of what's actually been accomplished inside of us when we get saved. We don't understand. No, it could be that we've never been taught. No one's ever told you that when you get saved, you're actually free from sin. Everyone said you're forgiven, you're going to go to heaven one day, but no one's actually told you that you're a brand new person. You've been made brand new. You're a new creation, and we're going to talk about that later, but you are, you're not who you were, and you don't have to live like who you were. And, or I think probably the biggest culprit is that we forget. We get saved, our life has changed, and then we begin to forget. We become a little bit jaded. We become a little bit distant. And we kind of forget and slip back into old habits and old routines. And our eyes just slowly kind of drift off of Jesus. And we begin to do the stupid stuff that we used to do. But the truth is that as Christians... We don't have to live that way. We don't have to slip into those old routines. We just need to keep our eyes focused firmly on Jesus and, and understand what has been accomplished inside of us. And that's what I want to talk about as we continue on throughout the morning. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace is an absolutely amazing thing. Christianity is the only Christ, is the only religion where, where man isn't trying to get right with God, but God actually came down out of heaven and made us right with him. God came to us to make us right. And it's a free gift. We don't have to do anything to earn it. And it's given to us without any expectation of payment and return. It's given to us to be saved just by trusting in Jesus. If we just will trust God and trust in the work that Jesus did, then we will be saved. That's the only requirement. Salvation is not anything that we do. Because if salvation could be earned, that would give us each a reason to boast. That would give us each a reason to be to brag about how, yeah, we're doing so good, and you know, they would be they would they would probably make it to heaven too if they would stop acting like that or if they would do these things. But grace is given to us free. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do anything for it. No one has ever lived a sinless life either, except for Jesus. Even if we we tried to earn it, we would always fall and fail and come up short. 
It's by his doing and not our own. And this is fundamental, too, to Christianity as well. It's fundamental that we understand that this, this what happened inside of us when we received Jesus Christ, this salvation, this freedom, it has nothing to do with the things that you've done. And when you're changed on the inside, you begin to, to show that on the outside, or you should. When, when something happens inside of you as great as what happened when you got saved, you're a brand new spirit was placed inside of you, you're a brand new person then there should be a difference on the outside. We should begin to see it. And it doesn't just stop at that moment that we believe, but as we continue to believe, our, our, our mind is renewed, our actions are changed, and we begin to live out the life that's placed inside of us through Jesus Christ. And it's His work, not our works, but His work inside of us that allows us to live free, to live pure, to live holy, to live righteous. Because he's accomplished those things inside of us. In Romans 6, 1 through 4, Paul deals with this problem of grace, though. Because somehow, the people had their thinking messed up. Kind of like many people have their thinking messed up today, that, that have this idea that if, oh, we're saved by grace and it's not by the things we do, then I guess that means that, that we can do anything. Because, you know, God still loves us and he's going to forgive us. In Romans 6, 1-4, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, the problem that these folks had back then was a little bit different than today. Today we think, oh, we're forgiven for everything so we can do what we want. They were thinking that, hey, maybe we'll give God a hand. We figured that if we sin a little bit, and a little bit of grace is a good thing because it forgives us for it, maybe we'll give God a hand and we'll sin a whole bunch. And that means God's grace will even be even more powerful because he's got so much sin to clean up. And he says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. You see, this kind of thinking is like, it's like going out there and, and causing a car to crash so you can run out there and pull the people from the wreckage and be a hero. That doesn't make any sense. Grace is not a license to sin. God cleanses us not so that we can continue to live dirty lives, so that we can live clean. We can live out who we are. Anybody ever had your kids go play in the mud? And they come back to the house just filthy and dirty. And How many of you have, have, have called them back in the house and cleaned them all up, put them in fresh clothes, just so they could go right back out in the mud? Anybody ever did that? If, first off, I remember when I lived in Whetstone when I was growing up. And it's like out in the sticks, you know, dirt roads and all that stuff. And I remember one time... It was during the monsoons, and we went out there, and we were playing in the ditches, and we came back just covered in mud. And thank God my kids haven't done anything like this, because I think I would understand why my mom was so upset <laughs> when I showed up. And she sent us outside, pulls out the hose, and sprays us down. But you know what she didn't do? She didn't. As soon as she got us clean, she didn't say, go play in the mud again. The point was to get clean and come inside and stay clean. 
And it's the same thing with God. God didn't cleanse us so that we could continue to go wall around in the mud. He cleansed us so we could live that way, that we could remain that way. And he did that by making us dead to sin. He said, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And every time I read this, I get this, I get this, this idea of, the, of like an old mob movie where they're, where they're telling the, the son or something, you're dead to me. And that means that they have to leave. They have no part in the family. They can't be a part of anything. There's no more contact. There's no more influence. There's no more anything because that person is dead to them. And the same thing is sin with us. When, when we are dead to sin, it has no more influence on us. It's just like in our lives when a person dies, how many know the bank can't collect a debt from somebody that's already dead? The bank can't go and, and make them pay back what was owed or can't do any of those things. The, the, the person is dead. The, the, nobody has any more influence on that person. And the same thing is sin with us. As far as sin's concerned, we are dead to it. It has no influence on us anymore. It cannot have any, any influence. It can't cause us to do anything. It can't pull us down. We're completely free from it. And as a result of that, we should walk in newness of life. You know, when that stuff, there was a time in your life before you were saved, there was, it didn't matter if you wanted to do good or not, there was no way you were going to do it because sin had a hold on you. Sin was pulling you down. But now, it doesn't. We're completely free. And that means that that we should be able to walk in newness of life. Matter of fact, there should be evidence of the change inside of us. And I recognize that for some people it's night and day change. For some people, we have to walk it out for a while, but at least there should be some change. There should be some growth. There should be something happening. This is actually what James was referring to. Remember when he said, faith without works is dead? This is what he was talking about. He wasn't saying that you had to work for your salvation, but he was saying that if you have faith for salvation, if you had real faith, if you were really saved, I should be able to see something different about you. You should be behaving and acting a little bit different. When we get saved, there should be a difference in our life. And this is because we do what we are. You do what you are. Who you are on the inside influences what you do on the outside. When you were a sinner, you sinned because sinners sin, right? But did you know that sinners aren't sinners because they sin? Sinners are sinners because they were born broken just like all of us were. They were born with, with their spirit broken because of what happened thousands of years ago when, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and were kicked out of the garden. At that point, man died. And they're sinners because of that. And as sinners, they happen to sin. And the same thing for us when Jesus came into our life. We became saints. We became made righteous. And we're not righteous because we do righteous things, but because we're righteous, we do righteous things. Does that make sense to everybody? Does the, it's kind of having the cart before the horse. You've got to get things in the right order. Now that we've been made righteous, our actions should reflect that. Amen? 
In Romans 6, 6 through 11, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you know that your old self, when you, when you got saved, the, the, one, the, the sinner, that old man that you were, was crucified with Christ? He, was, he went to the cross. He was put to death with Jesus Christ. And you were given Jesus' life in place of that. You were given a brand new, perfect life. He says that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's good news. They were no longer enslaved to sin. Do you know that that's what the, the, the picture of baptism is? That's what baptism represents. Baptism, when we are taken and placed under the water in baptism, that represents us dying and being buried with Jesus Christ. That's the old man getting put in the ground. Baptism is just a good old-fashioned funeral. And then when you are brought up out of the water, it represents you being raised up in newness of life, having the life of Jesus Christ inside of you. And because of that, you're no longer enslaved to sin. And the good news is, the fact is, is that if the old man died, but we're still here, the the new man, who we are, rose up with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, for this reason, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. I find this interesting because there's the reality that we're no longer enslaved to sin, that we have died to it, we've been set free from it, but there's also the practicality of it is that we have to consider ourselves so. We can get caught up in our old lives if we forget, if we don't focus on on what has been accomplished inside, and we slip back into those old habits. That's why Christians still sin, not because they're enslaved to it, but because they they don't consider themselves dead to sin. They don't consider the death of the old man, and they, they slip back into old habits. But just like when a person dies and debt can't be collected, sin can't collect anything from us either. And if we will consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, we can begin to to live the life that God has called us to live. Romans 6, 16-18, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." You know, when you were saved, there was a change that happened inside of you. You once were a slave to sin, and now you're a slave to righteousness. That's the, what he's talking about here. And he says, whatever you present yourselves to as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one to whom you obey. You know, the truth is that we should put as much effort into being a slave to righteousness as we did into being a slave to sin. If you think about your life before you were saved 
and think about that. I mean, you should be as good of a righteous person as you were as good a sinner. As much effort as you put into that. And I think if we did that, if we actually begin to, to, to live out who we're presenting ourselves to, we'd see an amazing change in our lives. When we were a slave to sin, it just led to more sinning. That's what he says right here. You're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death. When you're a slave to sin, you continue to do sin, you continue to do sinly things, and you, you begin to be led by it, and it just leads to death. It leads to more sin, it leads to more death, it leads to more destruction. But if we allow ourselves to be slaves to righteousness, it'll begin to guide us in that direction as well. We'll begin to live out the life that God wants us to live, and we'll begin to look different than the world around us. And people will begin to see in us something that they desire. Whenever you're a slave to something, it dictates every single thing that you do in your life. If you can imagine for a moment that you were a slave hundreds of years ago in this country, everything you did was dictated by your master. If you wanted to eat, they had to say it was okay. If you wanted to sleep, they had to say it was okay. They told you how to work, how to live. All of those things, they dictated your entire life. As a slave... Whoever is your master dictates everything that you do. And that was true for us when we were slaves to sin. Sin dictated everything that we did. That's why we did all kinds of stupid, because it was our master in our lives. But if you're a slave to righteousness, that means that righteousness is in your master. And that means it dictates everything that you do. It dictates how you live your life. It's the one that, 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 that uh, persuades you to live a godly life. Because if you present yourself obedient to righteousness, there's nothing else that you can do. I want you to know that if righteousness is your master, it's not going to allow you to sin. That's not okay. Anything that you're a slave to controls your action, and it controls your lives. And I think as Christians that we should focus on being slaves to righteousness, being as good of a slave to righteousness as we were to sin, being as good a Christian as we were a sinner. Amen? Because the reality is that when you become a Christian, you are brand new. We talked about it briefly, but here's some, some verses that talk about you being a new creation. In Galatians six fourteen through 15, he says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's that language again. Being crucified to the world and the world crucified to me. It's speaking of, of our relationship. We're dead to one and, one and the other's dead to us. There's no interaction. There's no influence. There's no, we're completely free from that. And he says, for, continuing on in verse 15, it says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but what a new creation. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, new things have come. When you got saved, you were made brand new. You were a brand new creation. 
It was a miracle that took place inside of you. That's something I think that, that, that many of us don't understand when we get saved is, is we think it's we said some nice words and now we're supposed to live good. But that's not it. When you, by faith, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were changed on the inside. A miracle took place that very moment. You're not who you used to be. You're brand new. You know, it would be easy to be overwhelmed and disheartened and quite frankly just ready to give up if we were given a list of, of rules that we had to follow. He said we can't sin, but nothing changed inside of us. Like Paul spoke of earlier, he says, I want to do the right thing, but I can't. But I thank God that God didn't leave us the way we were when he found us. He changed us. This was actually the problem with the law. This was the big downfall of the law because God sent his law and said, said, listen guys, this is the standard of measure that you have to live up to if you want to be right with me. He says, you have to do these things. And if you don't do these things, then something has to happen. There has to be something paid for it. And the problem was, is they were like, all right, this is the list, we can do it. But they kept failing over and over and over, which is why they kept making sacrifices over and over and over. And then they would fail again and have to make another sacrifice and fail and sacrifice and fail and sacrifice because nothing happened inside of them. They were just given the list of rules. But when God sent His Son... Not only did he send a sacrifice once and for all to pay for the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, he also changed us on the inside. He didn't leave us how we were. We weren't, we're no longer broken inside, but instead we were restored to the position that Adam had in the Garden of Eden. If you remember, Adam was a grown man, but he had no past. He had no failures. He had no shame. He had nothing behind him. And that's where you're restored to when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are made brand new in the image of Jesus Christ. When God sent His Son, He didn't just wipe sin away. He didn't put a band-aid on the problem. He fixed the broken part. Amen? And as such, we can finally live the life that God intended us to live. You know, if there were no Jesus, it would be understandable for us to to become overwhelmed and disheartened because there's no way we could live that way. But once you have Jesus, you're finally able. And if we get a hold of this, if if we get a revelation of this, it'll change how we live our lives. And Colossians 3, 9 through 10. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You know, the one thing that I always ask myself as I'm looking at this stuff, I begin to, to see these things and I'm looking and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have to sin. He's able to keep me from stumbling. Wait a minute, I'm a brand new person. Wait a minute, I'm not who I was. Why do I keep falling then? Why do sometimes we fail? And like I said earlier, I think we take our eyes off Jesus for a moment. We forget 
that we've changed. We forget that we've been made brand new. This, this image here saying, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self is the image of taking off garments and putting on something else. In this case, it was taking off the old filthy garments of who we are and putting on the, the white robes of Jesus Christ, giving us that new life. We're taking off our old self and its old bad practices and have put on the new self. It's like the expression that the clothes make the man. You ever heard that? It's kind of true here. If you keep that old self on, you're going to do old stupid things. But if we make the conscious decision to put on the new self, then our life will begin to change. Paul here is saying, hey, don't lie to one another. For our purposes, it's any action that's sinful. Hey, don't do that stuff that you used to do. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't drink, don't cuss. All that stuff. Don't do that stuff. Why? Because you have put off the old self with its practice. You have taken off that old man. That's who you used to be. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. That's another key right there, that we have to spend time understanding this stuff. The Scripture says in Romans 2, 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to have a renewal inside of us. And the only way that that's going to happen, if we want to live in victory, if we want to grow, is we need to begin to learn what God has said about us, who we are and who we are in Him. That's part of discipleship. We need to teach those who were just saved, that, hey, this is more than just being forgiven, but you were brand new. You were free. I remember, and I know I've told this story before, but it was so impactful to me because I remember when I used to work in a restaurant. I worked at Old Pueblo Grill, and if you ever worked in a restaurant, you know how um, not godly they can be if you work there. And, uh, you know, drinking and smoking and going out and partying, you know, all that stuff was, you know, that was all the rage. That was what everybody did. And I, I, I was beginning to, to walk with the Lord fully, and I, I was wanting to stay away from that stuff, and I would try to talk to people. And one of the responses I got from a girl once was that, you know, I don't want to have all those restrictions on me. I want to be able to be free to do whatever I want. And I said, free? You think you're free right now? She's like, yeah, I don't want some religion telling me that I can't, can't go and smoke and drink and hang out with my friends and boys. And, you know, I don't want all this stuff in my life. And I said, so you think you're free? She's like, yeah, I'm free to do all that stuff. And I said, well, if you think you're free, try to not do that stuff. Because the reality is she wasn't free to do that stuff. She was enslaved to that stuff. She could not do it. Sorry, I don't know why that story popped into my head, but it doesn't make any sense where I'm at, and uh, I'm lost now. So that's all right. We'll continue on. <laughs> Galatians five nineteen through twenty five. It says, "Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these." I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know, we're innately aware of what is godly and what is not. We don't really need this list to know if something is sinful or if something's not. The law of God is written onto our heart. Matter of fact, if you're ever curious about what a Christian should or shouldn't do, just go ask a non-Christian. They'll tell you how we should live. They all know. The truth is, they have it written on their heart too. And the truth is, is that people that do all these things, this big long list up here, which is not all-inclusive, it says that they won't inherit the kingdom of God. How many know that's a true statement? People that do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But did you know that this wasn't Paul pointing out their failures? He wasn't saying, if you screw up and do one of these things, you're going to hell. He was was reminding them, look, these are the kinds of things that people who don't inherit the kingdom of God do. If you do these things, you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. If these are the things that people that don't inherit the kingdom of God, why are you still doing them? You're not these people anymore. You are a people that inherit the kingdom of God. You want to know what the... The people that inherit the kingdom of God do, they, they have these things, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. He isn't saying that, hey, you screwed up, you're going to hell. He's saying that this is not who you are. Why are you acting that way? Stop acting like something you're not. Instead, start acting like who you are. Then he goes on to say that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. That old man that did all these things is dead. He was crucified. We're seeing that same image being crucified with Jesus again. If that man is dead, why do you keep letting him out of the grave? Why do you keep opening the coffin and let him come out for a few moments? That's not who you are anymore. And he says... If we live by the Spirit, you know the Spirit of God is what gives you life. It's what allows you to live. The Spirit of God inside of you is that brand new Spirit inside of you. And out of that is how we live the way that we're supposed to live. Not not that old man that we were, but the new creation. And he goes on to say, if we live by that Spirit, that Spirit that's given us life, let us also keep in step with that Spirit. And I find that an interesting phrase. Because... One, I was in the army for a while. And one of the things that we did when we marched was that we had to keep in step. And what that meant is that the entire platoon, no matter how many people were in it, if you see a a team of soldiers that are in step with one another, then they move as one unit. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen people, mar- I've maybe seen in marching bands, where they work together, when they march together, and they're not quite together. You see this accordion effect. The first people start going, and the rest kind of catch up, and then they, then they even out, and then they walk good, and they look all right. But if you're truly in step, that should mean that every single person, no matter how large the group of people, if everybody takes the first step at the same time, then you're never going to walk into somebody because everyone's moving at the same time. I remember as we were beginning to learn in the army, we would get going somewhere, and they would say, forward, march. And the first people would step off, but all the people in the back would end up marching in place because we were moving as an accordion instead of one unit. But to keep in step means to, to march as one. 
when the Spirit takes a step forward, we take the exact same step forward with Him. We are at one with the Spirit. And this is how it should look when we walk with the Spirit. That means that we look like Him. That our actions are like His. His love is our love. And His compassion is our compassion. In the same way, He's not conceited. He's not provocative. He's not envious. And being in step with Him means that we are not either. It means that we're walking as we were created in the image of God with His characteristics. His thoughts, His desires, His passions. And not the world's. It means that we're a people who do things that are consistent with the fruit of the Spirit. And you'll notice that these, these fruits, like salvation, are not, of the, are not of us. It's not the things that we do. You can say, hey, pastor, I'm not really a loving guy. I'm not really a joyful guy. I'm not any of these things. Well, you may not be, but the Spirit of God who lives inside of you is. And if you keep in step with Him, then you will be those things. These aren't things that come from ourselves. These are things that come out of the living God inside of us. Amen? Hmm, I wonder what scripture this is. <laughs> I guess I forgot off the title. Because <laughs> in Galatians 6, sorry about that. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You know, people are going to try to persuade you to do all manner of things. They'll try to tell you what's fun. They'll try to tell you that it's, oh, it's not really that bad. How can it hurt? Oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry, God will forgive you. Don't be deceived. Let no one deceive you with these empty words. The truth is, is that we should be living a godly life. You know that Moses was tempted to live a life other than the one God had for him. In Hebrews eleven twenty four through 25 it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. We all are tempted to live a different life than what God wants us to live. We're all, oh, there's people around us, there's, there's old friends, there's maybe family members, there's billboards all across the city that are tempting you to live a life other than what God has called you to live. And the enemy is going to want to deceive you as well. And the truth is that sometimes we even try to deceive ourselves. We begin to try to to talk ourselves into doing something that we know is wrong. We begin to justify it. We begin to, to think about, oh, well, maybe this won't be that bad. I know there's been times in my life when, when I'm, I'm being tempted and, and, and you have to push God away to do these stupid things. I remember I, I'd, I'd quit smoking. Uh, I'd smoked for many, many years and I finally quit. And then I ended up picking up chewing for a while because I, I did that when I was in high school and 
it was it was something to replace it, I guess. I was kind of hiding it from my wife, which didn't turn out well for me. Wouldn't imagine, <laughs> wouldn't recommend hiding things from your wife. Not a good idea. But uh, I uh, I started doing that again, and I began to justify it in my head. Oh, it's it's not as bad as smoking. No, you know, oh, it's not that bad. And, and oh, God will forgive you. You know, all these things begin to happen, even in my own head, to try to justify what I was doing. Let no one deceive you with empty words, not even yourself. Because he says, don't become partners with them. For one time you were darkness. One time that's who you were. You may have been that person, but now you are light in the Lord, so walk like it. Start walking like who you are instead of who you used to be. Amen? And then we'll finish here today in John eight thirty six. It says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know that this isn't a hope. This isn't a possibility. This isn't a wish. This isn't a whim. This is a fact. Scripture says, if the Son sets you free, and if you've been saved, if you've received Jesus Christ into your life, then He has set you free. And He says, if He sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, freedom by other things. And what I mean by that is, you know, have anybody ever seen somebody trying to quit smoking? They just can't do it. They want to be free. So what, they try different things. So maybe they'll try hypnosis. Or maybe they'll try some sort of medicine. Or maybe they'll try all kinds of manners of different things. Interventions. Or maybe just having a strong will. Freedom by any of these things isn't permanent. It's, it's, not, it's, it's a temporary at best. If you want real freedom in life, It's got to be Jesus. And the truth is that if you have Jesus in your life, that you are free. Even if you don't feel like it. Even if you still feel like you're in bondage. No, the scripture says that you are free. And grabbing a hold of this, grabbing a hold of what we talked about this morning, and beginning to actually believe that God made a change inside of you will change how you live your life. The freedom of Christ is a sure thing and it's the only way to be truly free. And I believe that as Christians, if we would just get a hold of this, if we would, by revelation, I'm not talking book knowledge, we can leave here today and, and, and know this stuff. We could take a test on it and write all the scriptures down where it says it. But this is something that you've got to grab hold of with your heart. Get a revelation of it from God. And if we would do that and trust in what His Word says is true about us, we would see an amazing change in how we live our lives. Amen? So let's, let's be a people. I want to challenge you. Let's, live, let's be a people who are going to live free from sin, not because we're something special, but because of the work that God has done inside of us. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.